Hey everybody, you are doing less once again with John and Jeff. Welcome back. To begin this episode, I'm going to actually turn it on you, Jeff. You're not expecting this, but I'm going to put you on the spot. And I'm going to ask you to... It's an exercise in steel manning, which we'll get to the main topic of our show after um, this little exercise. But I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to attempt to... um, with full faith steel man, the argument in, you know, a couple words, maybe like a sentence for Keynesian, Keynesian economics, follow that by steel manning the argument for Austrian economics. And then you can speak to the difference between the two. I'll give you a little bit more time as I'm talking to uh, think of your response because yes, I am I, I did not tell Jeff before the, the show started that I would be asking him to do this. <laughs> so I will be impressed with whatever he comes up with because it is kind of hard to boil down a whole school of economic thought into, um, you know, one sentence or like one kind of idea that really captures... And the idea of steel manning, so just to describe it to the listener that's not aware, it's the opposite of straw manning. So a straw man is to take your... Uh, take a person that you're debating and just consider their least viable argument and then attack that. Uh, it's like a, it's like attacking a straw man. It's like basically it takes no skill or you know, strength or whatever. You're basically attacking not a real argument. But a steel man is to take the, uh, an argument that you don't necessarily agree with and explain it in the best way possible. So, Jeff, what, what have you come up with? How could you do this to me? <laughs> Um, so yeah, I would say essentially the Keynesian, uh, argument in a nutshell is there's this concept of economic slack, which essentially is imagine there is a recession and a bunch of people become unemployed. Well, those people are resources, right? Like they can produce things. And so if they're just unemployed, not doing anything productive, then there's essentially this slack in economic activity where we theoretically could be producing more than we're doing. And so because there might be some, let's say, fear in the market in investing, sort of this error in psychology of the marketplace, um, the government as a central planner can sort of take up that duty to employ those people or just spend on things to essentially create opportunities for those people that are unemployed to pick up the slack and and basically fix the recession by uh, making those unused resources uh, used. How did I do? That's pretty good. That's a little, <laughs> bit, more than a se- little bit more than a sentence, but uh, I, I think you nailed it. I mean, that's well, the- Well, uh, steel manning, I, I, I can't just give it a sentence, right, John? <laughs> Well, okay, so that's what I came up with. I was thinking about this a lot longer than you, so I had some time to kind of um, concentrate my answer for for the Keynesian school. So full disclosure, Jeff and I both subscribe to the Austrian school of thought of economics. We both disagree very much, which is at ends with the Keynesian school. Um, I would say that the Keynesian school of economics thinks that achieving efficient output is achieved by centrally planned reallocation of resources. 
Right. Much more yeah, concise so Aust- than what I said. <laughs> Which, where the Austrians... <laughs> the Wait, Austrian let me do school. the Austrians. All right, go I for the Austrians. that one yet. Um, I'd say the Austrian school essentially says uh, that, go- that central planner, that government actor who's going to employ those resources has access to no more information than anyone else uh, in the marketplace. So if no one in the marketplace is hiring those people at the moment... There's no reason to believe the government can put them to any more productive roost than anyone else. Because if there was, you know, opportunity, an entrepreneur would take that opportunity to profit. So there's already incentive to hire those people gainfully. So if no one's doing that, then it can be it's probably the case that there's just nothing gainful to do at the moment. Would be the steel man counter, I think. That's... Very well done, Jeff. I give you a lot of credit. I I knew I could put you on the spot because <laughs> you uh you do come up with some uh just being around you when we uh have conversations and you know semi arguments and full on arguments with people that don't necessarily agree with us. You you always impress me with what you're able to come with up on the spot. So I didn't mind trying to <laughs> run one over on you. But um yeah, I w- I came up with when I was thinking about this in my. Uh, meditative state that I achieved earlier when I think about these things. <laughs> um, I came up with, um, yeah, the, the free market will uh, achieve the best, the most economic output. Um, right. In contrast to that. So it's so basically just like government versus free market is kind of like almost too broad of a, uh, almost too broad, but in general, that's like what the difference comes down to. The Austrian will always side with let the free market decide, and Keynesian will uh, will always side with uh, with you know taking a, the ideal central planned solution. Now, the thing that was interesting when I was thinking about this was um, <clears throat> I kept trying to avoid words like like government planned or like centrally planned because I almost think of it so much of as a pejorative, like in my own <laughs> line of thinking, like. If I accuse someone of like, oh, you just want a government plan solution for this or that, it's I'm, I'm accusing them of being like having a god complex and using that as like a, you know. <laughs> so when I'm thinking through the Keynesian argument, I'm thinking, can I say this? Would an actual Keynesian say yes? You know, you, you have to get to the point where you can say the Keynesian argument and have an actual Keynesian be like, yes, that's, you know, maybe they're a little bit of a, a little stubborn, so they'll say, uh, no, you missed this and that. But yeah, you got to get them to a point. Where they're generally going to be like, that's that is what I believe. That you, you know, you covered one of the more my more central tenets of what I believe. Um, and what we're going to be talking today, which is the reason that this is important, is to have a logical discourse, right? It, it at its at, like the first step is you have to you have to not be talking past the person that you're um, you're disagreeing with, right? So in order to do that, you have to be able to present their argument that they're trying to present to you in the best way that you can take it. Otherwise, it's just a bad, you're just arguing in bad faith. Like you have to be able to, to listen to them. If it's a person you respect, you have to think that they have a point that they are arguing, at least in their head. Um, because if you're strawmanning them, then you're, you're, I, I think it's actually disrespectful because you're, you're not giving them the dignity to, to say that they've come up with something that a person would actually think is a good idea, and I'm not even going to spend any time myself trying to think, convince myself that it's a good idea. So, um, 
that's like the it's first step. You got to be able to, lazy, to present their like, argument. You should at least try to understand their argument because if you straw man it, you probably don't even understand their argument. Um, also, just a side note: <laughs> if you don't know what Keynesian and I, we explained what they are, but uh, for for reference, um, the main school, like mainstream school of thought, is Keynesian economics. That's like what you'll learn in school. Versus Austrian, you might learn. Actually, my brother's in business school, and he's learning like more of the Austrian thought from like a uh, Armenian libertarian. He said was his <laughs> professor, so I think that's pretty cool. Um, what school? What school is it? Because uh, it's not at every school. <laughs> I don't. I don't know which school he's at. <laughs> oh my god! What the heck? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like it's in Boston. I don't. I don't know which one. <laughs> Uh, are you sure that's not just a um, a scam? Your brother's getting scammed. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna, I'm up in Boston going to school. I don't know. Uh, I just I'm 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 a bad listener. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I just wanted to give that for reference. Uh, <laughs> right, in case you were aware. Yeah, there's a man named Paul Krugman, who is a economist um, by profession. And he's received a Nobel Prize, and he is the mainstream Keynesian economist um, in our country. And uh, so that's just, I mean, it just goes to show you, it's very accepted. So it's not like we're just doing like a little thought experiment to kind of keep ourselves entertained. Like this is what, if you agree, if you listen to this podcast and you agree with what we say, we're telling you right now we are at ends with a person who won a Nobel Prize. So you say, who are you guys? To, how can you guys argue with someone? Like, he has a Nobel Prize on his side. And it's like, yes, that's why we're here. Like, we wouldn't be making this podcast if it wasn't for the fact that this stuff is important to talk about. We're trying to get people talking about it. Um, and we're trying to win a Nobel Prize. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... Paul it's Krugman, funny you give mentioned, me your Nobel Prize. <laughs> <laughs> funny you mentioned that because there was like a certain point where I was like, am I just like a contrarian? Do I like, because mm. people always like kind of tell me is like, oh, you're always disagreeing with like the conventional wisdom or whatever. And I was like, ah, am I just a contrarian? And then I realized, right. no, I just don't think it's important to talk about when I agree with mainstream thought. Because mm -hmm. if mainstream thought yeah. is, in my calculations, correct, there's no need to talk about it, really, because, you know, it's it's already, you know, the right thing is happening uh, most of the time. So it's, it feels, like, somewhat unproductive to just try and yeah. reinforce what's already mainstream thought. And so I realized, no, I just, I think it's important to highlight when, you know, there is disagreement with mainstream thought. The mainstream thought that he agrees with, by the way, that he's referring to is interventionism in the Middle East. <laughs> That's what Jeff... Um... <laughs> uh, I don't know enough about that. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I, the reason John, I think, was saying we wanted to talk about this is the plan today was to talk about COVID-19. Um and if you've been a listener to this show, you know we talk about it 
way back when in like December, maybe something like that. Um, when it was like still like a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I just realized it is December. So not this December, <laughs> December, 2019, almost like a year ago, uh, when it was still in Wuhan and it hadn't really spread yet except to other Chinese provinces. And I remember um, we were talking about, um, you know, is this something government needs to take a more active role in? Because we just hadn't really, we didn't really know at the time, like we were thinking through. And I remember in that podcast, we were like, could be this, could this be the podcast where we're saying, you know, do more, like the government needs to do more because there's this threat out there um, that could come here. And like, you know, is there something we need to be doing about this? Something China needs to be doing about this? Uh, and it was like, it was just, obviously it was weird for us to be talking, oh, maybe this is something the government needs to be doing more of. And, you know, I have to say with everything we've seen, you might think, wow, you guys, you guys are right. Yeah, the government totally need. And no, no, that's not the conclusion I'm at right now. Um, I think <laughs> do less is perfect. It's always correct. Uh, even <laughs> when we had our doubts, we were still right because the government screws everything up and they're terrible and they never do anything right. Yeah. And uh, that's the straw man. But we'll, we'll get into the steel man. Uh, but we, I think it's a good time to revisit COVID because we're... we're the government's giving talks about like lockdowns number two, stuff like that. And there's a lot of arguments in this space is definitely the hot button issue of the day. And so I think it's, it's, it's important to give both arguments their best case and, and do it, see if we can do it justice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was tough because we were saying do more when like, it was almost like, nothing was almost kind of like people were thinking that was the proper approach to it. Mm -hmm. So we're like, actually we were saying do more, but I think the the thesis behind it was like, we got to take this serious. Like this is like an existential threat that we always have to take serious. Right. Um, and when we say do less now, like I agree, we're saying do less now to specifically our government and governments across the world. Um, it's actually that thesis hasn't changed. Like, you still have to take viruses very serious. Like mm -hmm. I would actually, like after seeing what we've seen, it's like we are so unprepared. Like we have to really, like the people have to do more. The government mm -hmm. always has to do less, which I guess <laughs> is a more, just to qualify a little bit, I don't know. All right. Um, but yeah, so we were talking about steel manning. And so uh, obviously we've just showed our hand to say that we are not in favor of government <laughs> legislation to handle this problem. Uh, but I think we should start by sort of steel manning the, the argument for lockdowns, mask mandates, social distancing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then sort of get into, I guess, why we disagree with that. I will say, though, um, as an asterisk up front, I think... One thing the government could have done up front that I, I don't think I would necessarily think is wrong is early on closing the border. 
Because to me, government is simply the body of force that essentially protects a border and property within that border from essentially other violent threats. Like that is their like sole duty. So things related to a border, I think, is sort of within their jurisdiction. And so perhaps closing a border when we know there's a potential viral threat could mitigate the spread while we prepare, while businesses prepare, mm-hmm. uh, while the private sector can get to work on getting samples to research and study and prepare a vaccine and essentially say, you know, still let the private sector do most of the, the work, but essentially delaying perhaps the spread uh, within your country just by essentially mostly closing the border. I don't know what your take on that would be. Yeah, I mean, that's... Um, uh, I, I agree with that. I, I almost don't want to get into... Because I feel like I'm not as qualified to speak about like what epi- like the epidemiological response the, mm-hmm. and the political response should be to the um, you know because there's all sorts of things that I've seen that I'm you know not sure about that I'm still like but I mean that's not that sounds like it makes sense a lot of things sound like it makes sense I what mm-hmm. I really want to cover in this episode though what I really think is important to talk about is like. Just because you believe something works doesn't mean that necessitates a policy response. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to really drive home that distinction. I mean, what works exactly? Uh, Yeah, I could probably get into that. But, um, you know, I I probably am not prepared to to do a comprehensive job. And it kind of takes away from, you know, that point that I'm trying to, to get at, if that makes sense. But I, I hear you. I think that that's, that makes sense, especially with the role of government that you think is most effective or the most the most uh, necessary role of government is like is like defense mm-hmm. from exterior threats. So closing the border, yeah, it makes sense. But does that make sense to you? What I'm trying to say, like what I want to yeah. get into. Yeah, and even that obviously is not cut and dry because, especially with America, you have lots of citizens that are abroad and yeah. what are you going to say you come can't come go. home like that's not it's not as simple right. as i'm making it out to be uh it, like closing the border is like almost like a trite thing to say because it's it's obviously not that simple mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a door <laughs> that right. is like it's not a switch open closed like that's so even that's sort of trite to just reduce it down to uh that concept but i why don't we get into essentially what is sort of the current mainstream thought on the government's responsibility to de- handle this virus? What is sort of conventionally thought of as uh, the necessary government action to take? And let's try to steel man that argument as best we can. Right. And then we can get yeah, into so, why we disagree. Right. So the, the steel man argument for... Um, government prescribed uh, pandemic response is the less humans that interact, the less air that they breathe that mixes together, the less the virus spreads, the more time hospitals have to deal with 
cases of violent, you know, violent cases of the virus. And the more time that individual humans that are infected with the virus can kill the virus and not spread it, right? So just reducing that collision rate, rate of, of humans mixing breath and getting close to each other um, will, for a fact, do less harm to people, will allow the virus to do less harm to people. So therefore, I would also add, the government should mandate to that effect. <clears throat> right. I would also add, like, there are established measures that we can say slow the spread of the virus, and then therefore we should legislate these measures to make sure everyone's taking them, because since uh, you're not only responsible for your health, but you can spread it to other people, it's sort of a systemic risk, and therefore mm. the government can step in to protect other people from you, not just protect you from yourself. And um, by doing that, by slowing that spread, if we can develop an effective vaccine that can essentially give us immunity, uh, because fewer and fewer people got it in between that time frame, fewer people, there'll be fewer excess deaths on net um, by the time we have that vaccine. Right. Um, to fear excess deaths from the virus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So I think that's a good, like steel, cause it, cause here's the thing about a good steel man. It's like, if you can say it to yourself and you can actually agree with it, you know, you can actually say like, right. I don't even think that, you know, let me, let me remove myself from my position and I say, yeah, that all logically makes sense. Like, yeah, you want to slow the spread. Yeah. You want to give people more time to fight the virus. And yeah, you want to give more time to get the vaccine. So it's like, what can we do to, to do that? Yeah, this would, this would work to, to do that, you know? So it's like, okay, that logically makes sense. The only problem <laughs> is, <laughs> it, it, the only problem is that argument and what I would say in response to someone making that, that argument to me would be, you have to start, you start, have to start for accounting the expounding um, or the, the additional, uh, what's the word, externalities that you haven't, you haven't, stated thus far or more simply are, the tra the trade-offs trade like what are right. what are the trade-offs to doing that yeah to really any, any argument that you and this is just like this is just kind of a logical co like cognitive dissonance is like the antithesis of, of logic in, in a lot of ways um and what i mean by cognitive dissonance is like if you if you are in favor of something then you tend to align yourself with everything that seems to be in favor with that thing. Like if it's, if you think that something seems to be against something that you're in favor of, oh, then I'm against you know, that thing. So for mm -hmm. and what I'm where I'm trying to go with this is someone who says masks are good because it slows the rate at which you're in, you're like mixing your breath with someone else. Right. So therefore there should be a mask mandate, right? People make that, that logical jump and i would and i would attribute that more to logical dis or cognitive dissonance than actual logic right because it's actually not a logical statement like i believe <laughs> people should wear masks therefore the government should mandate masks is not lot is not rooted in logic 
Um, and some people might be listening and say, yeah, it is. Like, that makes perfect logical sense to me. But mm. I want to offer this <laughs> counterexample. Maybe this will make you think differently. If someone says, I think that kids under the age of 12 should get presents for their birthday, right? Therefore, I think the government should mandate that parents <laughs> give <laughs> that parents make or the government makes parents give their kids presents for their birthday. It's like, okay, wait a minute. You know, if that makes you think, if that makes you stop, you kind of understand now that there isn't a logical just because you believe something is good doesn't mean the government should be the one mandating it. Right, and this I think the cos- the cognitive dissonance comes from the fact that I think a lot of people uh, view laws as completely identical to what is good and bad like illegal bad good uh legal good legal right right and and that's the problem is laws have their own system of application with its own set of trade-offs like for example if we're enforcing the birthday present law that takes resources and how many more additional resources do we need to do this birthday present law that could be preventing murder theft etc etc and to me the obvious conclusion is any resource you're taking away from murder theft whatever like any horrible crime like that to make sure every kid's getting a birthday present is a terrible use of resources (laughs) and should never ever be done right and so to me, there's quite an obvious problem with making the jump from this is good, uh, therefore it should be the law. Yeah, and I mean, just to even go a little further, like, like I agree with that 100%, to go a little further just for the sake of um, being, like I really want to show the extent of, of this, how this, where this argument breaks down. It's like, well, what if, uh, it's going to sound weird, but it's like, what if, Society, once you instate that, like every child under 12 years gets birthday, pre- like sh- should get birthday presents and you're allocating all these resources. It's like, well, what if in 20 years you have a bunch of kids that aren't, f- ha- they can't handle real life. They're like, oh, well, like now I'm 18 and I've, I'm used to getting re- the birthday presents all the way until I was 12. And like, now I'm 18. I want more birthday presents. And then you just like, you have these kids that are like coddled or what, you know, whatever. This is just a, it, this is just a reason, like, unless you can, Here's the thing. Unless you can specifically quantify the amount to which that will or will not happen, you cannot prescribe that as a as a centrally planned solution, right? That's right. my point, right? Right. Just unless you just can the, calculate all the trade-offs. Yeah, unless you can tell me right now, and we can go back to masks because that well, birthday present one is a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> you know, but unless you can tell me... Um, Actually, I would pr- actually lock down. I mean, we're talking about masks, but mask one. All right, like, yeah. Here's here's what I would say. I'd say the obvious trade-off with mask mandates is that requires police resources, right, to enforce. And it also, if you fine someone for not having their mask, that fine is itself a trade-off. You're taking that person's money, which is a resource for them to do productive activities um, to go to the government to then spend, which they may or may not spend productively. And the question is, 
is the benefit of incentivizing more people to wear their mask outweighing the cost that you're bearing on society for distributing these fines and spending money on police to monitor this such thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Further, if, if you are in favor of a centrally planned mandate, you know, that, that to me is like, that to me tells me the same, um, the equivalent of you have done the, the cost benefit. You, you can tell me exactly how many for, for masks, for example, you can tell me exactly how many cases you've prevented. Mm. Right. And you, you can tell me, you can also tell me exactly how many resources have been siphoned away from citizens through fines. You can also tell me exactly how many resources have been siphoned away through police time and attention. You can also tell me exactly how many resources have been siphoned away through, you know, here's one, like people walking up to other people in grocery stores and getting in fights and altercations, right? Mm. That cost to the social fabric, right? Quantify that and then outweigh that with, the number of people that got the virus. Like, you have to, like, what we're saying is you have to make this calculation. You can't just say masks are good, right? So, therefore, right. they're essentially planning is good, right? You have right. to make that middle ground steps. Like, those are, those are essential to being able to allocate centrally planned resources to something. Right. And, and the reason you cannot just hand wave away, you can't dismiss this, is... This is what every entrepreneur does when they do a business. They do these kinds of calculations because at the end of the day, if the benefits outweigh the cost, that's their profit. That's where they make their money. Right. And so if they miscalculate, they bear the cost. They bear all the risk. All of it falls on them. But if our government miscalculates, all that risk falls on us equally, even if we're saying... This is a bad idea. And everyone else is saying this is a good idea. We all share that burden equally. And so it's not necessarily fair to say, uh, you know, the majority, you know, thinks this is a good idea because we're not, it's not just everyone who agrees with it saying, you know, what, I'll put my ass on the line. If this mm -hmm. is a bad law, I'll pay for the additional government spending that this costs. No, right. no, no. That's not how this works. And so because it doesn't work that way, it's completely unfair of someone to say, you know, we don't need to worry about the cost because we all bear the cost together equally. Well, not even equally, some more than others. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why. So this is a, this is a very important logical point. And it's going to sound kind of unfair because a lot of what people, a lot of the things people say about politicians let's face it, is unfair, right? Mm -hmm. we, we try to attack politicians, you know, at homonym and at, you know, just, um, there's a lot of things that I, like making fun of Trump's hands and stuff like that. It's like, <laughs> look, <laughs> it's like being a, being a celebrity, being in the public sphere, it's, it's tough, you know, like just be the way people treat you. Okay. I understand that. And I, and I don't like that. I don't think that's a good thing. I think you should, if they're a politician that you don't like, you should only focus on their issues, you know, and be fair at that. So when I bring this up, like, for example, Nancy Pelosi not wearing a mask in an enclosed spa with, like, other people, right? It's like, it's like, oh, you're just being unfair to her. Like, uh, she's just a person just like you and me. It's like, yeah, I know she's a person like you and me. That's not the point. 
you know the point is that yeah it's hard to wear a mask all the time it's not really easy it's not like comfortable it's like, mm-hmm. but if you're going to be a legislator you're, you're going to be part of the legislative process and you're going to say the statement mask mandate is important like a mask mandate is important then you are saying that every single like, like for example you're saying every person that breaks this mandate should be fined right that's the mm-hmm. s- equivalent statement so for you to break the mandate you're saying that you yourself should be fined yeah and they right? don't pay fines and they don't pay the fine, right? No. So it's like, it's not to, like like bringing this stuff up. Gavin Newsom going to like a Thanksgiving with many people or whatever he did, or I guess that yeah. was Cuomo. No, no, it was Newsom. He did like a dinner at a some dinner, restaurant, yeah, like a restaurant or something. So this isn't. We're not just being ad hominem. We're not just attacking these people for being people, right? We're saying, no. That's fine. Like, they're people. But right. they're people that are saying bad arguments. Like, the logic right. doesn't follow. They've broken right. that logical. And we can attack them for that. That is a viable mode of attack to say, look, you've logically said every person should follow this mandate. And you yourself aren't following it. Therefore, you don't even think that every person should follow this mandate. <laughs> right. Because, like, unless you think you're different than everyone else, right. uh, which I don't see any evidence of. But, um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think the reason we wanted to bring up the the steel manning so much, though, was um, I see a lot of people who are against sort of these government things taking really bad arguments. And it's, it's really diluting the argument against government intervention by taking on these bad arguments. Because, like we said... The distinction between is this is this action effective versus is this legislation effective is the key distinction. Mm-hmm. Okay, and a lot of people, because they're against the legislation, the lockdowns, and it's the lockdowns probably the most important one. We focus on the masks a lot, but really the lockdowns is the most significant one. Closing certain businesses and not others. Those have the biggest trade-offs. And so being against that, mm-hmm. a lot of people will take on this argument, oh, well, let's look at the the um, the graphs of cases. And they'll say, mm-hmm. you know, let's look at Sweden, let's look at Japan, let's look at all these other places, let's look at the graph. Point to me where you took X measure and show me on the graph, you know, where, you know, this measure is... Uh, being effective and you can't because it's hard to tell from the data whether any action was taken at any point and um i don't think these are good faith arguments because Mm -hmm. i think there is very logical reason to believe certain policies are effective like a lot of people say oh well uh cloth masks don't do anything because the size of a virus is much smaller than the pore of a mask Okay, but you also spew water droplets when you talk. And so, like, water droplets will carry large clusters of viral load in the water droplet, and a cloth can block a water droplet. So, it is actually probably decently effective at preventing spread. And so, just because you can't look at the, the, the model of an entire country and say, here's uh, mass man. They went here, so you know masks don't work. 
well, maybe the mask mandate didn't work, but that doesn't necessarily mean masks don't work. Um, and yet, some of them are, in fact, arguing against the legislation, but I do see some people then extending that into, mm-hmm. okay, if the legislation isn't working, then therefore that action doesn't work either. Um, and and right. this is a, a very bad argument, very think, bad place to enter uh, because I think, in fact, a lot of these preventative measures will, in fact, slow the spread, will reduce people's exposure, and can prevent the number of people mm-hmm. that get the virus uh, along the way. Um, yeah, I mean, just to qualify what Jeff is saying, like the, the guy that was, the guy that we're both thinking of, Jeff and I, uh, who was making this argument, he, he has a very famous video right now about it. His name is Tom Woods, and Jeff and I love him. <laughs> like he's <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah. He's like a great guy. He's he has so many good points. He's very well. Um, He's like a really good historian and a really good libertarian, just like a really good thinker and public figure. Um, but he was the one that's making this argument, and we're calling him out because we're just calling it like this is just the logical, you know. So I, I'm saying this to kind of lend ourselves a little credence that we're not just, you know, we're not just saying that we disagree with these people, so let's attack them. Like these people, right. we we like a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. We want them to be making the most effective arguments. So we got to call right. them out when when they're when they're they're not up to par, because like in that same person, Tom Woods had like a Twitter. Uh, he had, he had a tweet um, that like in the resp- the comments, like one person was saying, one person was agreeing him, with him saying my state uh, hasn't had any cases in weeks, therefore, like why why should we have a, a mask mandate or lockdowns or whatever? And someone else in the same thread was agreeing with him saying. Yeah, this, the cases are really spiking in my area. These masks and these lockdowns don't work, right? Uh, and I'm referring to an episode done by Bob Murphy, who kind of addresses this a little bit more, fur- a little bit further. Um, and I just kind of mentioned this because, like, even the people that you love, even the like the people that are usually right, they skip. They, you know, it's hard to always, you know, con- have the logically consistent argument. So, whenever you you hear one, you can say, "Hey, by the way, that's not actually logically following." Like, you can't just say. You can't make fun of these countries that in, like put in mask mandates and then their charts, their numbers went up. Because, for example, the number could have been even higher than it went up to. You know, you don't right, know. Like, like, yeah, that's, that's the unseen. Like maybe it did actually reduce where it otherwise would have been. Right. And that's the very same Austrian argument all the time in economics <laughs> where it's like, right. <laughs> exactly. it's like point to me on the CPI chart where the Federal Reserve did their central plan and you can't. Right. And that's kind of the point is these systems are complex. And so you can't just do this sort of statistical modeling like this to evaluate these things. But what you can do is say, I'm going to take the null hypothesis, which is I'm not going to divert any resources from people via force, which is how the government works. They take tax money via force or print money, which is just taking people's wealth without permission and diverting those to certain activities. Mm-hmm. And just not doing that is the null hypothesis, right? The government not taking an action doesn't need support because they're not diverting any resources from where they otherwise belong. To then step in and divert right resources, you need a compelling argument to do so, okay? And then our point is, yes, like masks can slow the spread, Yes, lockdowns can slow the spread. But 
life isn't all just reducing the number of people that die from COVID. That is not the only relevant variable in the world. And we don't exist in a laboratory. So you get a lot of these epidemiologists and scientists, and they think like scientists. They think about this like this is a lab experiment. And you Mm -hmm. hear them talking uh, about this, and they're like, yeah, like look at all this very compelling evidence that all these various measures, in fact, will reduce uh, transmission rates, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, yes, that's all well and good, but that is not the only relevant variable in society. And so I bet if you were to ask any one of these business owners who's gotten their business shut down, you know, would you rather get COVID or, you know, lose your job? Mm-hmm. And every single one of them would probably say get COVID. Right. And so you cannot make a value judgment, a risk assessment for that individual. Maybe some of them would say, oh, I'd rather lose my business. That's fine. But you mm-hmm. have to leave it up to the individual because they hold information that the central planner does not have access to. They, the mm-hmm. central planner doesn't know every individual's risk assessment. The central planner doesn't tell the Red Bull guy not to jump out of space and parachute in whatever because he could die doing that. I get that this is systemic risk and I don't want to gloss over that point that this is not just each individual's risk. What I'm saying is there is a risk judgment in going outside that every person is taking Mm -hmm. all the time every day. I get that this is not the same thing as car accidents or any other type of thing that people like to compare it to. But at the end of the day, there is somewhat of a risk tolerance judgment for each individual that needs to be accounted for that the central planner simply does not have access to. Yeah. I want to clarify, you said something, you said you can't do statistical analysis. Um, and people, I think some people might hear that and be like, what? You can't, of course you can just do it. Like, that's what, right. that's all you can do. But I do it like you can't actually, because he's not talking about, you can't do statistical analysis in a controlled setting or in a controlled environment, you know, in a lab setting or like, hmm. You know, you can do statistical analysis when you have most of the variables controlled for. Right. Pretty much all the variables. You know, you have to have all but one controlled for it, or else, or else the statistical analysis is garbage, right? right. And that's the thing about a economic, uh, like a like. Let's say, that's the thing about legislation. Like, you can't actually do statistical analysis on legislation because what is the control? You have to know what every other scenario would have been in the in a society, which you can't know. So actually, like, when we say that we're against, when we say the government should do less, right? We make, we make a mm. podcast about government needs to do less, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It's not, like, let's take a second and say that's not actually ideo- ideologically, right? Mm. Like, it's not just that some lofty thing that Jeff and I disagreed, like, well, we hate the government. Let's make a podcast <laughs> about why. It's like, okay, let's set up the logical argument, right? You, you as a government planner, you tell me, when you make a law, tell me exactly what you are Im- impacting, exactly how mm. much, quantify it, exactly the negative impacts, and exactly how much, quantify those. You know, quantify everything, lay it out to me, and explain exactly how you're making it better. There, there, you can make that law, okay? And then integrate that, it for all of the time that that law exists. You can't right. <laughs> even just do it at yeah, steady once. state yeah. at this particular, you got to integrate it over the whole existence of the law. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you can do that, then feel free to make the law. Until you can do that. <laughs> like that's what, I mean, that's the logical basis of why there needs to be less government. 
The reason you need to reduce it down to logic is because logic produces predictable results. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just what we learn in science. Like, correlation doesn't mean causation. And why does that matter? Well, because causation is the only way we can actually predict outcomes. And if you can't mm-hmm. predict outcomes, then your actions are irrelevant, right? Like, if there's no causal effect between two actions, like, this is why when people used to do rain dances for the rain, that was a waste of their time because you couldn't actually establish. It's it. This is why this logical connection is so important is because that's what lifts us out of poverty is figuring mm-hmm. out actual valuable, productive uses of our time, valuable actions to take. If we're just doing superstition where we just go, we think this is going to work, but we haven't actually thought it through its logical mm-hmm. uh, uh, extent then it's no better than just like doing a rain dance hoping it's going to rain. Yeah. Oh, this is one of the best tweets I ever saw. And, and um, it was someone in response to a, a study where the, someone was trying to say a takeaway of a study. I, I have no rec- recollection of what the study was, but the comment, the first comment was like, oh, this is just a, you're talking about correlation and correlation does not imply causation. And the second comment was, and this is what I loved, it was like, of course correlation implies causation. It's just correlation doesn't, is not causation, right? Right. Okay. Once you've found, once you've found a correlation, you should be, you, you realize you're almost there. Like you, you're onto right, something. Right, a correlation right, means right. there's something. It right. doesn't mean it's exactly the thing you studied. There could be other factors, but now you're on the, now you're on the scent, right? So right. this. It's a clue. Yeah, it's a clue. Like correlation means there's something there. Like statistically, there's something there, but it doesn't imply that the thing that you, exactly that you set out to study is the the variable because there are confounding variables. That's one of the things that I always see that people uh, just because there's a correlation, that's you know they they, they t- it's like correlation is not causation. Therefore, if there's a correlation, it's like those things don't cause each other. It's like it's why like, do we even bother them? <laughs> right. It's like those things very well could cause each other, but they the correlation doesn't mean they cause each other. It's right, just you're exactly. on one you're one step closer to finding what really does cause each other. And that's right. that's, gotta, a, that's yeah. a great that's a great point. Um I I, I really want to uh reiterate that because it's like it's it th- these people who just have this mantra of like, oh, correlation doesn't mean causation. It's like, right. okay, then why are we even doing correlations? What the heck is <laughs> yeah, the point? Right. It, it's like, it's because they are clues to what is causally related. And like, right. in statistics class, you always like, they, they'll give you this silly example. It's like, well, ice cream sales are correlated with murder. And it's like, obviously those aren't causated. Cause, but then they'll be like, if you do some deeper analysis, it's like, well, both are correlated with summer. And for whatever reason, murders mm-hmm. are up in the summer. But my point is, it leads you to confounding variables. It leads you to causation. Right. It, it, it's not useless. But right. to stop the analysis there is problematic. Right. Because if you stop the analysis there, then you might say, okay, well, let's ban ice cream. Then there's no more homicide. <laughs> Obviously, that's right. a failure in your analysis. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, th- especially with COVID, we have basically no useful data on legislation versus impact Mm because there's too many variables and we have absolutely no controls because we're doing like shotgun policy where it's like all these different policies at the same time right 
across many different countries, there's no, there's literally no controls whatsoever. So it becomes impossible to like get at what could be the causal variable, the logical variable here. But that doesn't, just because the statistics aren't necessarily useful, doesn't mean there aren't logical statements you can make about behavior. Like I said, with a cloth, a cloth mask should logically reduce the probability of you transmitting COVID to someone else because we know they block droplets and because we know mm -hmm. the virus can live in the droplets. So because you can make that very logical step, mm -hmm. there's no like confounding variables in between. It then becomes, you know, a fine statement to make that uh, a mask can prevent um, transmission. But like we said, that does not imply that a mask mandate is a good piece of legislation. Yeah, like the so what we're saying, like the appropriate appropriate response to someone saying like masks don't work, right? right. It's like what what they mean by that is like do do they mean mask mandates don't work? Do they mean right? Uh, like you have to so or like someone say masks do work, you know. You say why why do they work? Oh, they they prevent the spread of droplets and they keep it inside the mask. And then you right. say, well, what if you what if you touch the mask and then you get on your hands and then you're touching all these surfaces? And it's like that's actually a logical <clears throat> that's actually a right. logical response, right? That's the logical right. response. So like, oh, masks don't work because now you're touching your face and you're touching. It's like okay, so now you're having a discourse about a right. logical progression. You're not just saying. I am among the tribe that believes masks work. <laughs> therefore, anyone who doesn't want a government mandate right. that for everyone wearing masks, then, you know, I can't even talk to you, right? That's right. Yeah, and I mean, another thing to say is um, there's, it's also, it's not as simple as just e each of these examples is incredibly simple, right? Like, just because masks work if you're in the same room as someone and they're used effectively, there's no user error where you're touching your mask, you're fixing it or whatever, or, you know, it's just going out the side because it's not tight enough or whatever else. Um, that doesn't mean if you're outside walking your dog, you need to be wearing one if there's no one around you. Like, and and this is the kind of amount of gray area there is in all real life stuff where they try to simplify it down to wear a mask mm -hmm. but it's like when you know like right. there and this is the sort of individual value judgments people make with localized information the law is really bad at defining every single edge case mm -hmm. where it's like all right police officer only enforce the law when they're inside Etc. Etc. This distance, and it's it's it becomes impossible to enforce this, adjudicate it, because now, oh, you issue the ticket. Now they can contest it in court. Think of all the resources that are going into efficiently applicate like applying force to anything you think is worthy of some sort of like um, force, uh, and it's it's just not feasible. I kind of want to shift a little bit from there. Um, hmm. And I want to bring up the idea that what we hear kind of about this 
legislation is like, you know, you hear people pontificate, oh, I, um, you know, that we just didn't lock down hard enough or we, we didn't have enough people mm -hmm. wearing masks and stuff or we're going to try this again. We're going to try this different. Okay. Mm -hmm. That key word there is like, we're going to try this. It's like, there are countries that beat this fire. You know, we're, we're mm -hmm. behind. There are countries mm -hmm. ahead of us. There's no more try, right? There's no more, let's figure it out. There, there's, they've already, fi they figured out. We need mm -hmm. to understand what they did. You know, it's not more, there's no more trying. Like th there was the try, the trials occurred. Now we need to understand, you know, and we <laughs> right. need to, to, to work off that. There's no more, let's try this, see what, the, let's try lockdowns again, see if they work, right? That's a, I mean, that's actually a logical argument. Like, oh, we, we tried a lot, we tried lockdowns, they didn't work. So let's try them again. It's just like, what, what's different this time? Why are you think that it's going to work this time? Like, you can't just, it, it can't, oh, this time we'll actually do it. First time, it's like, well, what's different, you know? <laughs> Oh, this right. time the police are actually going to pe put people in jail or something. Like, I don't know. Like, even, I'm, okay, that's actually logical. Like, that, that will right. be different. But it's like. <laughs> yeah. It's and good. also, like, I think really the, mo the most important thing, though, is the seen versus the unseen. Um, and it's even if you say, again, even if you could be like, this worked. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, but what did it cost and the reality is you can't tell and this is why central planning just simply does not work is because you can take the action and it can achieve the desired result and you can have no idea what it cost you because the thing that you co it cost you didn't manifest right so you have no idea and so there's calculations that you simply just you can't even factor in all of the trade-offs because you don't even know what all of the trade-offs are. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of an impossible task to even attempt to try to uh, essentially plan any sort of policy like this. I think that's, uh, that's all I got. All right. For this wrap episode. It. That's yeah. a wrap. Thank you for listening. We do appreciate all the listens. So keep yeah, it up. Keep you. up the good work. Keep doing less. <laughs> <laughs>